straight into Romans uh, this morning. Let's begin, I'll tell you what, let's begin at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 18. Um, uh, don't want to em- embarrass Brother Luke McClellan, but he's flying the plane this morning on the, on the screen. And um, it's been said that a pilot really uh, makes their money when something goes wrong. Right? In other words, if, it, if it's an uneventful takeoff, uneventful flight, and uneventful landing, uh, but it's when an engine goes out mid-flight, right? That's, that's when you want a, a pilot. So, Luke, we appreciate you handling the, uh, the, the resolution jumping on you there mid, mid-flight this morning. And um, so Romans chapter 1, have you found it yet? All right, let's, um, let's look at this, um, first of all, from the New King James Version. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. Now, there's some amazing truth in these verses. I really want you to bring your heart to attention. Uh, I feel like I lost some of you on that, on that uh, third word, wrath, there. Okay, We're going to explain that. That more than likely does not mean what you think it means. Okay, um, But let me keep reading. So... Um, Because what may be known of God, verse 19, is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the living things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, I want to break um, some of these words down for you, some of these phrases down for you, to really help you get an idea and understanding, deeper understanding for application of what God is saying to us here. Now, last week, I just used some simple illustrations with my right hand and my left hand, okay? And, and Romans is basically saying, look, we were created to live way up here. Instead, we're living way down here. Anybody remember what we said living way down here is to the world now? Normal. world calls this normal. This isn't normal. This isn't what God created us uh, for. It's not, it's not the life he created us to live. He created us to live way up here. But we're living way down here. And um, Romans tells us, first of all, what happened, how we went from here to here. But then also, beginning towards the end of chapter 3, um, throughout the next several chapters, he's, he's explaining to us the answer that God has provided to get us from down here to back up here again. All right? And that's as simple as I know how to uh, give you an, an, an overview, a cliff note, if you will, um, a, a summation, if you will, synopsis. That's the word I'm looking for, a synopsis, if you will, of, um, of the book of Romans. Now, when he says the wrath of God, when we hear wrath, it's kind of like when we hear the word love, you know, we tend to think philo, we tend to think fond affectionate feelings. And when we hear wrath, we, we tend to think of somebody finally losing their temper and flying off the handle. Um, and, and that uh, word in the Greek language is the word thumos. Thumos is when, it's what we often think of as, as some, you know, the wrath uh, of, of, of your boss or, the, you know, somebody who gets really angry and, and expresses that anger, maybe even in a violent way, okay? But this particular word in the Greek, it's O-R-E-G-E, uh, and there's some different accents and, and that sort of thing. I'm even going to try to attempt uh, 
uh, pronunciation of that. But this particular word for wrath is not the, the violent outburst of anger or building up, building up, building up and boiling over. But this is instead best understood as desire with grief. Desire with grief. Okay? Now, I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but, but what he's talking about here is when Father God had really, and still does, has really high hopes for us, okay, but then he's experiencing the grief uh, of you and I missing out on all that he has prepared and planned for us. So when we see this word wrath here, you could almost uh, better understand it or connect with the emotion if you thought of it instead of, of, of anger as deep disappointment. Deep disappointment, okay? Um, Father God is very disappointed when we live way down here and he created uh, us to live uh, way up here. Okay? No parent in this room is excited about your children uh, going through difficulties and hardships in life. No parent in here gets excited if their kid's car gets repossessed. No parent in here gets excited, um, but instead, and hey, maybe it's poor choices on your children's part, whatever, that, that led to those uh, things. But this would kind of be a way for us to connect with what this word wrath really means. It's that you desire better um, for them, right? And it's the grief associated with them um, living beneath what they have the capacity to experience and enjoy in life. So he says, this wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Now this, this verse ties in directly over in chapter 3 where it says the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven. So we, we begin with this deep disappointment on God's part revealed from heaven and he explains to us in greater detail why that disappointment is that way. Now let me grab a quick sip of water here. All right, so the next uh, phrase that I want to point out to you is also in verse 18 because he says that um, it's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, if something is suppressed, if something is suppressed, it's held back. It's, it's, it's an effort to contain it, to suppress it. And in this case, we're talking about the light of God's word. We're talking about the light of truth. And so one translation of this is literally put a shroud over. So the idea is, let's say there's a, a really bright light, um, you, you know, in, 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 in this room, and we're trying to, to darken that light, and finally somebody gets the idea of just putting a basket or a garbage can or a bucket or something over it. It doesn't, it doesn't extinguish the light because you cannot extinguish the light of God's truth. So what he's saying is that there is a concerted effort on behalf of men here on the earth to cover over what is otherwise obvious, to try to hide um, and, and conceal what um, everybody uh, could otherwise uh, readily see. So it's literally a conspiracy. Now I know there's, there's this concept of a conspiracy theory, you know, where people theorize all these different things. Maybe they're true, maybe they're not. But th this, this is not a theory of conspiracy. This is, this is God identifying a conspiracy on behalf of man to cover up what is otherwise obvious and undeniable. What is obvious and undeniable. And, and so what is obvious and undeniable? What is obvious and undeniable is the existence of God. The existence of an, of an eternal being, the existence of a divine intelligence, the existence of a creator father. Okay, now, now stay, stay with me here because we'll come back to verse 19 
He keeps going, verse 20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, all right? Um, being understood by the things that are made. So he's talking about creation here and God's attributes revealed in creation itself, okay? Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now that last verse is the one we kind of zeroed in on last Sunday. And, and the message translation simply says that people refuse to treat God um, like God and, uh, and, and refuse to worship Him. So he's talking about, again, the disconnect. The disconnect is when we fail to acknowledge God for who He is. Now, we've defined worship, and I'm, I'm going to put it on the screen. I got it somewhere in my notes, so I'm going to take the time to look for it right now. But we've defined worship as your proper response to who God is in respect to who you are to Him. And, and this one disconnect in life, um, it, I, I use this word, I'm not trying to use a big word, but it, it, it's this concept of being tethered. Do you understand tethered? Um, in, when uh, our astronauts uh, do a spacewalk, and when they come outside of a capsule or outside of the space station, um, they're very careful to be tethered. In other words, they, they're, they're attached with, with, with a, a safety line. Amen. Um, should they lose their grip and start drifting, um, you know, there's, there's not going to be uh, a, a buoy to push off of. They're not going to, you know, drift into a tree that they can push themselves back towards the space station. They'll be lost forever in, in space, all right? So they're tethered. They're, they're, they're attached. Amen. And notice this important a benefit of worship is that it keeps us attached to the source of our life. And I'm, I'm not talking about necessarily the, the internal spiritual union that we have with God. That certainly is vital and that's important. But, but worship is more about a, a, a deliberate intentional effort on our part to not lose sight of who God is, nor lose sight of who we are in respect to Him. And as long as we keep that in the forefront of our hearts and minds, we're going we're gonna to keep heading in the right direction. It's when we lose sight of that that we start to drift. We, we, we start to head off in our own direction and start thinking more of ourselves than we ought to think, right? Start thinking that, that we're better qualified to call the shots for our life than God. And, and that's the mistake Adam and Eve made, and humankind has been making it ever since, all right? Now, I want to go back, though, to verse 19, because this is really a beautiful, important, powerful verse. He says, because what may be known of God. Now, let's think about this for a moment. What may be known of God? How many of you know there's a lot to be known of God? There's a lot to be known of God. But he's saying what may be known of God is manifest in you. It's manifest in them. Now, listen to me. You've got to hear every word I'm saying this morning and don't take something out of context. But people, you know, wandering all over this planet looking for God, go look in the mirror. He created you. What's to be known of Him is manifest in you. Just, just by taking a long and thoughtful look at what He created, there it is, the mystery of His divine being and His eternal power. I'm quoting to you now from the message translation. Your existence is light, illumination that God exists. 
Now, I told you last week, let's, let's, let's go back to this for a moment. I told you last week that the only sin that will ever send a man or woman to hell is the sin of rejecting the light that Jesus brought into the world. Read John 3 if you don't believe that. Jesus has already taken the blame and punishment for every sin that ever will be or ever has been committed on planet Earth. Those sins are paid for. So the only sin that will send a man or woman to hell is, is when we choose darkness over light. And so we see that light is coming to the world, but men chose the darkness. They chose to run from the light deeper into the darkness rather than catching a glimpse of the light and, and moving towards the light. So when he says that, that your existence is light, that God exists, what may be known as manifest in them, this word manifest literally means to shine, to make to shine, to cause to appear, to make apparent or evident. To make apparent or evident. So your very existence is light that God exists unless we believe the ridiculous idea that we somehow created ourselves. So do you see how the suppressing the truth, the, 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 the deliberate intentional act of conspiracy to, over, to, 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 to cover over, to put a shroud over what is otherwise very clear, very plain, very obvious, and that is your existence. So do you see why the, the, the world and the enemies behind the world, he's the ruler of this world, they, they keep putting forth these ideas that, 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 that we created ourselves and this world created itself and, 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 and so forth and so on. Because to consider the alternative is light. And if, and if all of a sudden you begin to think, well, my goodness, if, you know, I'm, I'm a created being. I didn't create myself, but something, somebody, somewhere created me. See, that's light. Now we begin to, to, to move into the light that we're given. And what did we say last week? When you, when you step into the light and begin to walk towards the light, what, is, what does Father God give it? Shout it out to me. He gives more light. And then more light and more light and more light. The next thing you know, you're calling on the name of Jesus to be saved. Paul sh- shined some light on King Agrippa. King Agrippa came in there all full of himself, big shot, right? He was going to trot Paul out like a dog and pony show and interrogate him, right? And Paul had something for him. Not a smart mouth, not an anger. He just looked at him and said, Oh, King Agrippa, I'm so honored to be able to speak to you today, sir. In the back of his mind, Holy Spirit's going, I told you I'd bring you in front of great men. And as he begins to talk about his salvation experience, King Agrippa says, I'm going to paraphrase, Get this man out of here. He's almost persuading me to be a Christian. It wasn't Paul's persuading. It was light shining. It was faith awakening, right? But notice what did he do? If King Agrippa's in hell tonight, let me tell you, this morning, let me tell you why he's there. He's there because he rejected light. He's there why every other person will ever be, wind up there is there. Rejected light. Light came and they chose to stay in the darkness. Now, <clears throat> I want to, you know, I was talking to the Lord about this because sometimes, I, I, and he's helping me. Are you hearing me? He's helping me get over some of my weirdness, okay? And we all got weirdness, but we, he's helped me get over some of my weirdness, amen? And, and some of my weirdness has been to actually stand in a pulpit and, and read to you some of the things that he's given to me. And, and, I, and I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, help me. Why, why am I awkward doing that? And, of course, one is I'm awkward, you know, sharing my writing. And i got to get over that. And I am in Jesus' name. I am over it. Amen. Um, 
but the other one is, I remember my aunt on my mother's side, and by the way, mom and dad are watching this morning, and she's doing much better, and, and, uh, and be back with us, if not Wednesday night, definitely Sunday, okay? But I remember my aunt, and, and she wasn't being very kind to her pastor, and, and she was talking about how she couldn't wait till they got a new pastor, because they was in a church that, and I'm not talking about my aunt's sister, Patricia, I'm talking about be my great aunt, my mother's aunt. And, and she was just really griping about her, her pastor, and I'm probably listening in on this at 10, 11 years old, because I know that I'm called to preach, right? And, and mom said, well, surely, you know, mom's trying to encourage her and all that stuff. She says, all he does is stand in the pulpit and read to us. And it kind of planted this seed, you know. It's like, okay, mental note, when you get in the pulpit, don't stand there and read to people. They don't like to be read to. Well, that's a lie. People do like to be read to. And I asked the Lord about this, and he said, have you not read in the Word where Paul instructed people to, when they were in church to read the letters that he had, had written to them and to make sure those letters were read in other churches? All right? So I want to I read something to you, and, and, um, and the title of this is it's fancy, okay? Sometimes me and Lord, you have a good time, right? We always have a good time, but sometimes, you know, just, amen. I wrote this not really knowing if it, just hush, mark, and read, okay? <laughs> Contemplating creation and our creator, okay? Contemplating. What, what does that mean? It, it means doing what a lot of folks don't want to do. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to think about eternity. They don't want to contemplate these things. They're just so quick to shoot down any concept. That, that doesn't include, um, uh, you know, we created ourselves or, or we're responsible for ourselves and so forth and so on. So, um, contemplating creation and our creator. And let me give you a little background on this, okay? I'm not stalling, I promise, okay? Um, last summer, the Lord began, as I began to contemplate this, the Lord began to speak to me about some of these things. And one of the things that I believe I'm called to do and that I'm gifted by God to do is to take things that remain a mystery to people and help them to see what God's already made visible in his word uh, plain. The Bible says that I'm to read the verse and make the sense, okay? And, and so to take really complex things and, and present them in a way that people can connect with them and understand them, all right? And so when we start talking about creation and God creating, you know, with all these theories and big words and, and, and laws of physics and so forth and so on, I'm wanting to try to steer away from all of that and present it in, a, in an easy to understand, but also, listen to me now, and make an, what I call an undeniable case, right? Now, people deny Jesus, and so they're going to deny his word and, and, and everything else. But if you want to get this, here it comes. Are you ready? All right. So the subheading of this is create versus fabricate. The Lord began to speak to my heart about this. Okay. Create means to bring something into existence. Fabricate means to construct from prepared components. If I was to sit a stack of paper on a desk and ask you to create an airplane, you could not do it. You could not do it if I offered you a million dollars. To truly create something is to bring it into existence without using anything that already exists. Most people can fabricate a paper plane if you give them a sheet of paper. 
Some could do it from a stiff napkin or a modified envelope. But no one can do it without using something that already exists. This means paper airplanes are fabricated, not created. The iPad I'm using this morning is an amazing machine. Some might say it was created by Apple. But in the strictest terms, it was not. Apple engineers imagined it, designed it, drew it, planned it, and manufactured it. But they did not create it. Every part of this machine was made from components that already existed in or on the earth. Having witnessed the creation of Adam from the dust of the earth, the devil challenged God and proudly declared he could also create a man. Deciding to call his hand, God said, Okay, show me what you've got. The devil reached down and began grabbing large handfuls of soil when God stopped him and said, Get your own dirt. Please do not go looking in the Bible for this story because it didn't really happen. But the same pride exists in the hearts of people who use the raw materials God created but never acknowledge His existence. If you want to truly create a computer, then get your own aluminum. Get your own copper, gold, glass, silica sand, bauxite, and iron ore. You also need to figure out how to get your own power to energize your creation. Because like everything else involved in the working of my iPad, God provided the juice that runs it. While we're here, let's give credit where credit is due. Human beings have fabricated so many awesome things from the resources God brought into existence, also known as that which God created. Refusing to acknowledge God while basking in the glory of what we say we've created means missing the most amazing creation of all. It's one thing to fabricate an iPad, but next level is to create a being with the ability to dig through the earth and come up with an iPad. That is exactly what God did when he created us. He didn't fabricate a laptop. He created a being with the intelligence, imagination, and skill to superheat sand and make a computer chip. See, it's manifest in them. You look in that mirror, you see a being that was created by somebody much bigger than you that now can dig out of the earth and put together something. Cornelius is watching us this morning in Nairobi. Our family of faith in Kenya is watching us this morning. We want to take credit for that. No, no, see, we've missed it. We've missed it. We've missed the greater wonder here. And that's a God who can create a being who can then create, then fabricate. See, I did it myself. Then fabricate from what he created, what we're enjoying this morning. Amen. Romans 1 and 19 says, What may be known of God is manifest in the man he created. Sadly, many choose to deny God and conspire to hide the reality of his existence. Can you take a little more? I'll tell anyone who will listen, humility is the master key to life. Many doors in a building means many keys for those doors, unless you have a master key. A master key will unlock every door in the building. Humility is the master key to life, and it will open every door you need opened in your life. The opposite of humility is pride. Pride is the nature of your enemy, the devil. God hates pride. 
Pride will cause God to resist you, but he gives grace and help to the humble. Pride is our number one problem, and there is not a close second. You could actually say it this way. Pride is the problem, and every other issue plaguing humankind is a result of pride. Every kind of sin, including racism, hate, greed, and selfishness, are all rooted in pride. This is an important subject, one worthy of many pages. I mention it here to provide some context for the most prideful belief of all, the belief that we created ourselves Consider the blinding arrogance behind the outrageous idea that we somehow wield ourselves into existence. Key word in all of this, though, is blinding. It's blinding. See, we, we can't see what is plain and obvious because of the pride in our hearts. Those who believe God created the universe and all that is in it are often ridiculed and belittled by those who believe other theories. Let me stop time out right here. I talked about last summer, but it was actually two summers ago on my riding lawnmower that, and I, I don't really know how to, how to put this in, in, into words. It, it, was, it was a Holy Spirit moment. Cecil, you said something to me after church last Sunday, and I think you said it was Socrates who said that the biggest uh, idea that you can come up with in your heart the next bigger idea is God. And, and I really feel like in my heart, the Holy Spirit helped me get to the biggest thing I could ever comprehend. And, 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 and then there he, there he was. Amen. Okay. And, and, and a lot of this that I'm reading to you now came from that initial experience, um, what, almost three years ago now. And um, just, I knew that there was something here. And, and this is... Um, what I'm about to read to you now is, is at least trying to get you to that same place that the Holy Spirit carried me that particular afternoon, okay? Those who believe God created the universe and all that is in it are often ridiculed and belittled by those who believe other theories. To believe there is no God is to believe that absolutely everything came from absolutely nothing. Believing the universe created itself has many problems. And by the way, that is a belief. People believe that. You know, we, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm educated, I'm intelligent. I'm, no, no, you believe it. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. You believe that this is how it happened, okay? Believing the universe created itself has many problems. The Big Bang Theory is among the most agreed means behind the self-created universe belief. But this theory has a fatal flaw, namely the assumption there has always been something hanging around somewhere that finally exploded. This is the fatal flaw of every theory that, it, that excludes and denies a divine creator. Are you following me? Am I going too fast? All right. No matter how many billions of years you use to disguise your elaborate explanations, you will always run headlong into the need for something to have always been. Space is something. Vacuums are something. Matter is something. Air is something. Those who refuse to acknowledge a divine creator get lost in the weeds of the scope and tenure of the universe while taking for granted things like air and space. Air and space have always been, comes the smug reply, to which I say exactly, and therefore, since they've always been, they must be uncreated. If they've always been, are you following me? Okay. That which has always been is uncreated, or if you prefer, non-evolved. 
In other words, it has always been, and there is no means by which it came into existence. God is the uncreated one. He has always been and will always be. There is no process or means by which he was born or developed. Our brains do not know what to do with this concept. They are incapable of processing it. But our hearts, using faith, can understand. Hebrews 11. Bottom line, no theory of our existence or the universe Uh, The universe's existence will work without the assumption that something has always been. I'm going to read that again. No theory of our existence or the universe's existence will work without the assumption that some things have always been. The Big Bang had to have a place, a reality, if you will, to occur. Think about it. Where did the air and space to contain the universe come from? Whether a small one or an unimaginably big one, explosions require elements and components to take place. Where did all the stuff that blew up come from? This is not an uneducated question. This is not an uneducated question. It is an obvious one that is often dismissed by academia as simple or even childish. Imagine for a moment. Now, I want to get down there with you, but I'll stay right here. Whenever I want to get down there with you, it's when I'm feeling vulnerable. I mean, I want to get closer to you. I don't know. That's weird. Imagine for a moment a painting of one scene from creation. A painting of one scene from creation. I've got at least two hanging in my office, but just one. One scene. Imagine for a moment one scene from creation. I I literally want you to do this now. Mountains, a waterfall. Maybe a beachscape, but just pick one. All right, you got it? Now, would you ever consider the image painted itself? Could anyone convince you the canvas and the frame came to exist after millions of years of trying? That these implements somehow magically ordered their molecules into the right arrangement so as to produce the surface and setting for what would come next? We haven't even got to the painting yet. I'm just talking about the, the canvas and the frame. Are you with me? Okay, thank you, Jesus. Or that somehow random outside forces act, acted upon the self-created canvas to somehow produce the beautiful image before you. No one in their right mind would consider such a thing. And yet... We are talking about a one-dimensional static image taken from a multi-dimensional dynamic universe. Why do we consider the painting to have a creator, but the subject of the painting, the creation from which it was derived, to have created itself? But for the sake of our discussion, let's say time was the artist and random molecules eventually assembled themselves together to produce the image on the canvas. A stretch to even consider, much less believe, as truth to live and die by. But humor me for a moment. I'm trying to make a point here. To believe the painting came together without any intelligent artist and designer acting upon it means believing a palette of colors has always existed and to take for granted the canvas and the convenience of an easel has always existed as well. We know our world and the universe it resides in is far more complex than a one-dimensional painting. So what, or better still who, provided the canvas it exists upon and the easel 
that supports it. You are currently riding, not writing, riding like riding a motorcycle. You are currently riding a giant dirt clod through space around a star. We call the star our sun. And we are situated precisely 93 million miles away as we go around. The sphere we're riding around the star is spinning on its axis at a precise 1,070 miles per hour. The spinning ball travels on a path around the sun at no less or no more than 67 thousand miles per hour. It's a big number. Our earth has a single moon. We take for granted single moon. How many of you remember of the planets that we know about, right? <laughs> they don't have single moons, not all of them, right? Our earth has a single moon that rotates on its axis once every 27.3 days. Now remember, rotating on the axis means it's doing this. Am I boring you? Once on its axis every 20... You know, for, for many years, we did not believe or think or understand that the moon rotated on its axis because every time we would see it in its different positions in the lunar cycle, it looked exactly the same. We now know that the moon does rotate on its axis and it goes all the way around one time every 27.3 days. Somebody tell me, how, many, how long does it take the earth to go all the way around on its axis? 24 hours. You got 24 hours compared to 27.3 days. Okay? So the reason we thought the moon was stationary and not um, turning on an axis while it orbited around the earth is because every time we saw it in its lunar cycle, it looked the same. But what we know now is that as the moon rotates on its axis every 27.3 days, it also makes one complete trip around the earth every 27.3 days. Synchronization. The gravitational pull of the spinning and orbiting moon tilts our earth 23.44 degrees on its axis. So the earth is not, is not positioned straight up and down. It's tilted 23.44 degrees. What causes that tilt? The weight of the moon going around it, pulling on it like a kid on uh, a ride at, at, uh, at an amusement park. Uh, as, as you spin around, right? That's why you always want to put um, the biggest person on the outside, <laughs> right? Because, amen, I saw some folks looking over, right? You don't want to put the smallest kid on the, on the inside. They'll get crushed by the gravitational pull. Because the rotation and orbit of our moon align at 27.3 days, the earth spins smoothly, though, despite its tilt. If the rotation of the moon on its axis was out of sync with its orbit, the earth would wobble. That's what I'm saying. The gravitational pull of the moon, 27.3 days to go all the way around, pulls the earth slightly this way. But because the earth is being rotated by a giant object that is spinning on its axis at the same rate that it's encircling it, it keeps the earth steady at its 23.44 degree tilt. 
The numbers are impressive, but what do they mean? A precise one, I'm, I'll put them on the screen for you. Some of you want to. Um, so if you keep a score at home, 93 million miles from the sun, 1,070 mile per hour rotation, 67,000 mile per hour orbit for the earth, 27.3 days uh, moon rotation and orbit, 23.44 degree earth axis tilt. A precise 1,070 miles per hour, mile per hour spin means the earth makes it all the way around every 24 hours. 67,000 miles per hour is uh, what it takes to get the earth around the sun and back every 365 days. The gravitational pull of the moon spinning and orbiting the earth allows the earth's distance from the sun to vary ever so slightly as we travel around. Anybody know why that's important? Seasons. We're coming out of a season where we have been further away from the sun ever so slightly. We call that winter. Now, as the gravitational pull of the moon on the earth lessens, the the earth moves ever so slightly closer to the sun, which is what we're now starting to experience as, as it starts getting warmer. And then we know at the closest point is, of course, summer for us is when the earth's in a position closest to the sun. Are you picking all this up? Okay. So precise speed and synchronization of these colossal components produces the four seasons on earth. If any of these numbers were off in the slightest. If the earth slowed down by just 1% off of the 67,000 miles per hour, we would come up hugely short of all the way around in one year. When you're going that fast, if you, if you just alter the speed slightly, okay? Now, remember what I asked you last week? Well, let me finish this and we'll, get, we'll wrap this up. One more time, precise speed and synchronization of these colossal components produces the four seasons on earth. If any of these numbers were off in the slightest, guess what? Life would not be possible on this planet. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. How many gallons per mile does something as big as the earth traveling 67,000 miles per hour? In other words, where's the engine propelling all of this? Where are the computers synchronizing all of this? Where, 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 how, how is it propelled? How is it fueled? How is it maintained? How, you know what? Hebrews gives us the answer if you if you bold enough and ready, ready to not run from the light but accept it. It says all of this, all of this, is performed by the mighty word of God's power. All of it. When I flew from Birmingham, well, really, we we left Atlanta. Um, Anton makes part of this trip all the time when he flies back to the Netherlands. We'd stopped in the Netherlands on my way. Um, they, They could not 
with a sophisticated jumbo airliner, all the technology and, and, and so forth and so on, because the flight was so long, they could only give us an estimated time of, of arriving. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I'd only taken shorter flights that could steal even shorter flights. And they said, well, we never know. A headwind could slow us down. A tailwind could, could speed us up. I mean, it's, you know, and when you talk about a flight this long, you know, we can only give you a range of when we'll actually touch down. And so you have to spread your connecting flights out to accommodate for that so forth and so on, right? But I begin to think about that, you know, with all the sophisticated computers and technologies and GPSs and all these other things, something as small as an airplane flying from one place to just a third of the way around the world, you can't maintain precision. And now we're talking about something that has, you know, a 200 million mile span, right? 93 million miles is just between Earth and the sun. So the whole orbit around 200 million miles wide at speeds that we can't comprehend. You see why he says that nobody has... It's, it, to believe something other than someone other than a man, some, because God's not a man, my friend. Let me tell you who did all this. My daddy. My father did this. Pam and I left out early the other morning before dark and before daylight and the sun started coming up. And I know he's listening to worship music. He's having this good time in the Lord. And I pointed at that sunrise. I said, my father did that. My father did that. Man. It's obvious. Listen to me. It's obvious. That was my introduction. I didn't get very far, did I? But that's okay. Listen to me now. Let me tell you something else you need to know about this great creator father of ours. He honors those who honor him. He honors those who honor him. Philo without agape, you thought we was going to get out of here without one of these, didn't you, today? Philo without agape will, will deceive you into thinking that grace has now taken the place of any need to honor God. And it's costing people dearly. Father, we're in awe of you this morning. The very air that we breathe, you created it. And the very air pressure necessary within the atmosphere surrounding this planet, Lord, is so strategic. It helps us breathe. It doesn't just provide oxygen, Father, the air pressure pushing in on us, Lord. It, 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 it pushes the, the much-needed air into our lungs as we begin to inhale, Father. Lord, it's, there's, there's precision. It's, it's, it's all balanced uh, on a razor's edge, and you balanced it there, Father. It's, it's, it's all so specifically and strategically and precisely dialed in on an unimaginable 200 million mile wide scope, Father. And yet, Lord, you uphold it all and keep it all in, in perfect alignment by the word of your power. And you created it, Lord, and put us in it. It's your idea, Lord. 
It's your idea. Forgive us, Lord, for ever thinking. Forgive us, Lord, for ever thinking that we were our own idea or that you were our idea. Father, as we, as we stand before you this morning, Lord, help us. Help us see what this world and your enemies have so strategically. Lord, the conspiracy of all conspiracies, Lord, to conceal and to hide and to put a shroud over the truth, Lord, that is obvious and manifest, not just in the vastness of space or the orbit of the planets, but, Lord, is right there looking back at us in the mirror. Father, forgive us for not treating you the way you should be treated, for not acknowledging you and honoring you and giving you the place in our lives that you deserve to have. And, Father, it's duty, but it's so much more than duty. It's responsibility, but it's so much more than responsibility. Father, it's life. It's abundant life. It's how we get out of the level of living this world calls normal and soar, Lord, with the eagles up into the upper echelons of life in Christ that you created us to live and experience and enjoy. Father, thank you for those among us, Lord, this family of faith who are in need of healing this morning. Father, thank you for touching our brother Jerry, Lord, for touching mom this morning. Lord, healing's in them. same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in them right now. Father, I thank you that um, all that they have in the name of Jesus is manifesting in their bodies right now. Others, Lord, that we may not be aware of that, that need a touch from you today. Lord, for our brother Joey, and Lord, I'm not using last names. You know the names. I'm not using last names because of the Internet and people not necessarily wanting their business put out there, Father. But, Lord, some of these ongoing health issues and situations, Father, that people are dealing with, mysteries revealed, bodies healed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Man, what a beautiful crowd. Look around you, man. So many folks in the house this morning. It's an honor to have you here. Shake somebody's hand. Love somebody in Jesus. Tell somebody good things coming. We will see you next Sunday to celebrate resurrection. Amen.